0: It's Wednesday Wonders Science Fiction and Fantasy on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult.
1: The Leviathan Chronicles, season three. The story thus far. Senshin has been killed. After battling Jason Sterling and Whit Roberts at the buffer station deep in the Congo jungle, Senshin suffered grievous wounds and was trapped within the imploding ancient temple as the Black Door group and the Seraxian aliens escaped to a secret base in the Canadian territory of Nunavut. As his only means of escape, Senshin utilized the damaged keyhole array within the buffer station not knowing that without a programmed destination, the array would default towards the area of greatest keyhole density, Leviathan. Senshin materialized, battered and bruised at the series of keyholes near the Med Tower of Leviathan, Despite his condition, Senshin is instantly recognized by the surrounding populace as the architect of the deadly Immortal Rebellion 70 years ago that killed over a third of the population within Leviathan. The ensuing mob seethed for revenge and literally tore Senshin's body apart, leaving him to die a bloody death in the cobblestone streets of Leviathan. But in his last act of redemption, Senshin wrote the coordinates of the Black Door Group's Arctic destination on a piece of paper that was recovered from his pockets when Evangeline's honor guard finally dispersed the murderous crowd. Upon further analysis, Leviathan's sensors revealed a massive surge of starstone radiation emanating from the same location. McAllen urgently pushed Evangeline to assemble an interception mission, tasking her, Anton, Tully, and Oberlin to reach the Black Door group before they could aid the aliens with making contact with the Saraxian fleet. Leviathan continues to be plagued with operational failures as the Maddox virus invades the civic AI of Leviathan. Chlorokan, Lizette, and engineering underchief Ansler attempted to stem the city's power loss by injecting the thermal matrix with energy from the starstone McAllen obtained in New York. But as the virus revealed its sentience, Lizette became trapped in the thermal core, which was overloaded and headed towards a magma breach. But Chlorokan was able to remotely operate a loading mech from the West Hangar Bay to save Lizette. Repair crews are now littered throughout Leviathan City and Evangeline has finally ordered citizens to prepare for the possibility of evacuation. And now, Chapter 47, The Corporeal Virus. Evangeline rose from the warm bed in her private chambers, stretching her long limbs and rubbing her hands across her face. She took a deep breath, and felt the gratitude for being able to stand on her own two feet again. To be conscious. To be alive. Her head still felt foggy, and it took longer for her eyes to focus than she remembered. She gently rolled her shoulders twice before making her way to the stone-framed window that overlooked the city that she built.
2: Time cannot run out yet. It's always been about time, hasn't it? I've pushed eternity so far. And at such cost... Just a bit more time is all I ask, Goddess, and a bit more strength. I'm so
3: close. You're whispering to yourself, Eve. I thought that was a pleasure reserved exclusively for my ears and this pillow alone.
2: Evangeline's lover called from the bed. For someone who used to be a priest, you've certainly taken to carnal pleasures with some reverence. Hmm. Only with certain partners. Good to know I'm in select company.
3: You're in the select company of one and only one. There never has been and there never could be another. Come back to bed with me.
2: While Rome
3: burns... There'll always be fire, Eve. But not one this great, Quinn. There's more at stake than anyone realises. Seeing you alive and feeling you next to me makes me already feel like we've won whatever war we may have to fight. Please, Eve, come back to bed.
1: Evangeline hesitated. ...and then walked back to her bed,
2: slipping under the sheets next to Harlequin. It had nothing to do with me, Harlequin. Whether I live or die doesn't... What will
3: we do after you save Leviathan? <laughs> Since when did you become so patently optimistic? Somewhere around the time I saw you open your eyes again, after I thought I'd lost you forever.
2: <laughs> I'm not trying to save this city, Quinn. I'm trying to save this planet. Why do you think I made so many people immortal out of vanity, loneliness? I needed an army to defeat an enemy with overwhelming technology. And I didn't need my valuable investments passing away after a mere 70
3: years. Is that why you made me immortal? To be an implement in your tool chest?
2: An implement of pleasure, perhaps.
3: (laughs) Ha, Eve.
1: (laughs) Evangeline leaned forward to kiss Harlequin's lips and neck while pushing her warm body on top of his. Moments passed like the greatest luxury in the world as the
3: two lay intertwined. Seriously, Eve, why me? You were different from the others. Different how? You made me selfish.
2: The others were meant to serve roles in the Eden Initiative, but you, you were the one thing I wanted to take for myself.
3: Then what is my role without you? Who am I without your desire?
2: I am in your heart, Harlequin. And you are in mine. Without me, you will have to answer to a greater calling. To become something beyond a thief, beyond a scoundrel.
3: A return to the priesthood, perhaps?
2: (laughs) No. Certainly not. I just think that you're better as a leader than you are as a loner.
3: Well, look who's talking. The woman that started a cult in the most inhospitable place on earth.
2: The woman who wanted to develop a defense against a superior enemy and didn't want anyone to bother her in the meantime.
1: Evangeline fell silent. She looked out the window again and could see citizens far below preparing for the evacuation orders she warned could come soon. It makes me sad
2: that it's all come down to this.
3: Tell me, what will happen if Macallan and her team don't get to the crossbow station in time? What if they... What if they die? Yes.
2: Then, the aliens will do what they've been trying to do for a thousand years. Make contact with Sorax,
3: bring their forces to Earth,
2: enslave the
3: human race or... Perhaps just exterminate it. For describing an event of unparalleled singularity, you don't seem terribly worried. At this point, I've done almost everything I can. Almost?
2: Well, let's just say there's always a last resort.
3: I don't like the sound of that, Eve.
2: <sighs> India. Kavarati Beach.
3: I beg your pardon?
2: What we would do after Leviathan is saved, we'd head to Kavarati Island and lay on the ivory powder beach shaded by palm thatches, and sleep at the camp I built myself many, many years ago. There's a resident pod of spinner dolphins that likes to hunt and play by the reefs off the west shore. We could eat lobster that we cook over a small beach fire, and drink the last of the venus that we're able to abscond from Leviathan. Make love in the mornings and the cool evenings under the clear night skies. I'd spend hours telling you all the reasons why I love you. And you'd hold me close to you and tell me how fragile your heart is. And we wouldn't tell another living soul where we were so that we could own it all completely as ours. Only ours.
3: Won't the city miss its queen? Let
2: them miss me.
1: Harlequin slowly took his hand and reached it behind Evangeline's head, letting his fingers run through her thick scarlet hair, pulling her lips into his as the two wove their bodies together for another passionate moment.
3: I love you, Eve. Goddess, I love you. I've been such a fool to allow my pride to keep me away from you for so long.
2: I want you, Harlequin. I want you to be with me even more than I did a thousand years ago in Scotland. We're not who we were then, we're better. Time has made us better. Eve.
4: Mm. Mm. Uh. Uh.
1: Two hours later, Harlequin and Evangeline sat up in her bed. She smiled at him as he reached for a glass of chilled Vinocius on the bedside table. When Harlequin turned to offer her a sip, he noticed that her smile had faded.
3: What are you thinking about? Sension. Ascension.
2: Why did he come back?
3: He certainly didn't last long. Someone tried to kill him. Someone did. Did you see the viciousness of that crowd? No, the crowd didn't kill him.
2: Dr. Link examined the body in the Med Tower as soon as we could get the crowds away. She said the body had suffered a traumatic gunshot wound. Senshin was dying. His last act was to come here.
3: To come home?
2: No. No, he wasn't coming home. His home was on the surface, always was. No, he was scared. I think he died trying to tell us that we should be scared too.
4: Oh. My. God. Oberlin, come on. Stop gawking. We gotta get ready for this mission, man. Tolly! This place! This city! It's amazing! Do you realize the amount of engineering required to keep an area this large at surface pressure? I mean, just keeping the water out is enough for a Nobel Prize. Tully, do you realize we're deeper than almost any ROV on Earth can go? The ocean pressure alone at this depth would turn a tractor trailer into an iPhone. Yeah, well, I don't think you're gonna get very good reception down here. Seriously, we gotta get ready if we Oh gonna... Tully, look at the size of that cathedral. Oh, it looks bigger than Notre Dame. Just look at all the scaffolding. They must still be building it. More like rebuilding it. Thing looked a lot better last time I was down here. Look, Oberlin, I don't exactly think the real estate values in Leviathan are going up these days. In fact, I think we need to get out of here soon like real soon. I got a bad feeling. There. Look at those buildings where the people live. That looks like the biggest teepee I've ever seen. And that one over there is like a miniature Taj Mahal. Oh, Tully. Look at the purple grass over at Oberlin! The... We gotta get moving! The Condor is gonna leave in a few hours. It's up to us to stop whatever these aliens are trying to do. And I don't need to tell you that the Black Door Group is pretty Just bad- Just give me a little more time, Tully. If the world is really going to end, I want to be able to drink all of this in. This place. I didn't come all this way just to- Oh, excuse me, miss. Have you seen an Asian woman that- Damn. Oh, oh, um, excuse me, sir. Can you tell me if you've seen a Chinese woman named Miley that- Damn it. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. By any chance, can you tell me if you've seen someone named Miley? She's an Asian woman about so high I'm sorry, but I don't really understand... Oberlin, come on. We don't have a lot of time. I'm not going to wait for you to... Tully, I need to find her. Look, Oberlin, you've got to let her go. We've got way more important...
1: Oberlin spun around violently and brusquely snatched Tully by the collar of his shirt. Ah.
4: Quit being so fucking selfish, Tully! You got your girl back. I'm not leaving this place without my leave. Well, I wouldn't really say I got them back. Excuse me, pardon me, ma'am, but, um, oh Jesus, why won't anyone stop to talk to me? Oberlin, these people are getting ready to evacuate. They don't have time to talk to some random stranger, especially not someone who isn't, you know, immortal, or whatever they are down here.
5: Oh, for the love of St. Andrew,
1: that was a 300 year old. Tully Scotch turned around and saw a broad, heavy set man with thick, sword. hairy arms trying to position three massive wooden crates onto a floating maglev
5: sled. Angus? Angus McKay? Is that you? Well, all my stars. Tully, I mean, Captain Tully. I never thought I'd see your sorry shadow darken these streets again. It's kind of a long story. Well, I wish I had time to hear it. But you heard what Lady Evangeline has said. The populace needs to prepare itself for the possibility of an evacuation order. I'm trying to get some of the most valuable contents of the squid put away so they won't get lost like a piece of seaweed in case... well, you know.
1: Angus pointed up to the cavern ceiling that had re-established the loom floor matrix, giving it the appearance of an overcast sky. But both Tully and Angus McKay understood the grim reality that the occasional drops of water that fell from above represented for the survival of Leviathan.
4: Hey, listen, I don't have a lot of time myself, but can I give you a quick hand? And
5: uh, this is uh, my best friend, Oberlin St. Clair. Nice to meet you, Oberlin. Any friend of Tully's is a friend of mine. you would be a far better friend if you both helped me get six more crates hauled up from the squid. To save the heavy ones for two strong backs like yourselves. We're happy to help. Yeah, no problem, Angus. Let's let's bang this out. <laughs> Bless your hearts, both of you. I'll just head down the steps to prop open the door to the bar. Your
4: friend seems like a nice chap.
5: Yeah, you should see the scotch selection this guy
4: Angus has, and not just scotch—rum, tequila, absinthe, and a bunch of other stuff I've never heard of. I've been to a few bars in my time, and I'm telling you that the salty squid is something else. Oh, uh, just stay away from the squid chips, I
1: Come
5: on, you two fish nuggets!
1: Angus McKay had not been exaggerating about the size or weight of the remaining crates that he needed to move. The last two required all three men to lift together in unison to haul the heavy containers up the narrow, twisting stone steps that connected the salty squid to the main boulevard. When the last of the crates rested securely on top of the maglev sled, Angus turned to Tully and Oberlin, who were both breathing heavily.
5: Ah, thank you lads. I couldn't have done it without you. You've done a noble deed today by saving a treasure trove of the goddess's finest liquor. Let me buy you both a drink to express my eternal gratitude. Mm, I'm not sure we should, Angus. We sort of have a lot on our plate. Yeah, this mission is really important. You mean to tell me that the fate of the world rests upon the shoulders of your sorry asses and that you're going to literally fly into a situation of life-threatening consequences to ensure the survival of the human race? And you don't want to have a drink first?
1: The three men stood together in
4: silence. I mean, uh, I think we could have one. Small well, maybe drink just
5: walk the road. I don't want to be rude. Maybe or anything. just have a toast. <laughs> I thought as much. Come on, you two. I've got something special I've been saving behind the bar. Hmm? 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 The
1: three men walked back down the narrow and cracked stone steps to the tiny, twisted alley where the salty squid resided. Angus pulled on the heavy, scratched wooden door and ushered Oberlin and Tully inside.
5: Now, let's see. Where is that bottle I was saving for the apocalypse?
4: Your faith in us is reassuring, Angus.
5: Ah, here it is. Come to me, you divine angel. I've been thinking about you for a long time.
1: Angus returned to the bar with a dusty, clear bottle. The label was torn and faded, but Tully could just make out the words McKinley's
4: Malt Whiskey.
5: So, uh, what do we have here, Angus? A very special
4: Can that be right? The bottle says 1887. I've never seen a bottle
5: that old. Well, this isn't just any hundred and thirty-year-old whiskey.
4: Oh, thank goodness. My heart almost sank.
5: Yeah, I'd shoot myself if I had to drink another century old scotch. Well then, I think you two are going to be pleasantly surprised, because this bottle right here in front of you used to belong to a sailor, an explorer, one Mr. Ernest Shackleton. Ernest Shackleton? uh, The South Pole Explorer? Aye one of the same. The ruins of his boat, the Nimrod, were discovered with a case of whiskey still stashed away in one of the staterooms. I was able to come by a bottle through some ...channels I have. I can only imagine. This gorgeous ambrosia has been aging in arctic conditions for close to a hundred years. Not enough to actually freeze what's inside, but enough to strip away all the harshness and allow that exquisite highland flavor to come forth onto your lips. You chaps ready for a sip? Yes, please. Angus, you are a very generous man with what I hope is a very heavy wrist.
1: Angus poured the golden spirit from the musty bottle into three heavy crystal glasses, and Oberlin's eyes widened as his glass seemed to produce its own warm illumination from the priceless contents within.
5: Well, gentlemen, we could toast to the success of your mission, but I think that would be a bit obvious. We could toast to love. Oh, not that again. <laughs> what a sad I'd sooner toast the to teddy bears <laughs> and unicorns. Come on, uh, Oberlin, uh, don't uh, always be Irish. <laughs> no, no. I've got a better idea. How about we toast to the sea? To the sea? To the sea.
1: The men will raise the crystal glasses to their lips after taking the full measure of a moment to inhale the intoxicating aroma, imbibe and then allow the glorious lingering aftertaste to melt throughout their mouths and throats. Ah, uh,
5: that, my friends, is a real whiskey.
4: It was like a flock of angels landed on my tongue and then decided to stay a while.
5: That is some hooch, changs I mean, wow. Like, just wow. You're quite the poet, Captain <laughs> Tully, you know. I don't like to see empty glasses at my bar as long as it still stands. Let me pour you a wee dram, I... Yes, please. I have no resistance.
1: Angus poured the two of them another ounce of the precious McKinley's whiskey before offering himself another generous pour.
4: So what will you do, Angus? You know, if the order is given to... You know, get out of here, to evacuate.
1: Angus swirled the amber liquid in his glass before he spoke. Well,
5: I'm generally pretty good at following orders, especially when Lady Evangeline is giving them. I got most of the knickknacks here packed away, along with most of the minoshes. Can't really produce it on the surface. No, I'll figure I'll find a quiet spot somewhere up there, hang a sign and do what I've been doing for the last few centuries. Pouring drinks, sharing a laugh, and offering people some place and some solace to step away from their problems for a little while. I'd like to see that bar, Angus. Me too. Well, hopefully you won't have to, if you two scallywags do your jobs properly. We're gonna get it done, Angus. We'll do everything in our power, Angus. Well, maybe we'd better drink to your success after all. Look, I can't
4: believe I'm saying this, but I think I've had enough to drink. You've been so cool, Angus, really. You're a great pal, and I hope I get to come back to your bar soon, no matter where it is.
5: There'll be a pint on a stool waiting for you, Tully. You too, Oberlin. Thank you, Angus.
4: We'd love to stay longer, but but I have someone I need to find here in Leviathan. Hey, Oberlin, why don't you ask Angus? He knows everybody down here. Hey, Angus, my friend is looking for a girl he thinks is down here. I know she's down here. I let her jump into this keyhole to Leviathan right before everything got crazy. Well... Who is this mystery woman, my friend? She saved my life more than once. Her name's Mai Lee. She's about 5'7", slender, wicked smart, knows kung fu, and
5: likes cognac. Ha! Sounds like my kind of woman.
1: Oberlin lifted his head and just stared at Angus.
5: I'm sorry, mate. I didn't mean to offend. You said her name was Mai Lee, did you? No, mate. I haven't
4: seen her. Terrific. Did I mention she's also an expert in the art of disappearance? But
5: just because I don't know who or where this woman is doesn't mean there's not someone else who might. What do you mean? Well, you said she jumped through a keyhole to get here, you, right? You sure she didn't jump back? She couldn't have. I was right there at the entrance before
4: it blew. It's true. I was there too. I watched it happen. I know she was here because Macallan had her detained in the Great Cathedral. Apparently, she gave Macallan some bad information, and when Macallan came back to confront her, Miley's chamber in the cathedral was empty.
5: Vanished, did she? My goodness. Not that many places to hide down here at the bottom of the ocean. Like I said, she's an expert at disappearance. Well, I don't want to be the bearer of any bad news, but I think you've seen the state of affairs within Leviathan. We've had a few cavern collapses, and sadly, there have been some injuries as well. Even some deaths. Maybe the reason you haven't found your Miley is because she hasn't been around to be found. Miley's not dead. She's too strong for that. Well, there's only one way to find out, isn't there?
1: Angus turned and approached a grimy panel on the side of the bar. He moved a few bottles aside and gave the wall a few rubs with his elbow to reveal a small video panel. He punched in a few buttons and slowly a grainy image materialised within the screen.
0: Jesus, Angus, is that you? Did you get uglier, or do you ever clean that screen of yours? Why are you calling on the vidgram?
5: Because my carrier pigeon has intestinal issues, and I broke my damn peacock getting ready for this fire drill Lady Evangelina's called. I
0: hear you there, friend. What can I do for you, Angus? Why are you calling the bloody morgue? Did someone eat one of your squid chips?
5: Now don't you mind any of that. I'm calling on behalf of a friend of mine. He's looking for an Asian girl that came down here through some sort of mysterious circumstance. And I just wanted to check that the honor guard hadn't found her after she had some sort of unfortunate accident.
0: Angus, come on me. You know that would be confidential information. Classified files and all that.
5: I do know that. I also know it would be a shame if I didn't remember to pack any of that Argentinian sherry from 1965 that you care for so much. Such a tragedy that it's not available anymore.
0: Ugh, Angus, must you?
5: I'm afraid I must.
6: Alright then,
0: what's this young lady's name?
5: My Lee, I'm told.
0: Checking through our files. Nope. Nobody named Miley Lee or anyone that fits that description has come through our doors in the past 30 days. You
5: need me to look back further. No, no. I think that answers our question. You're a good man. And for the record, I never would have forgotten your sherry mate. I figured not. You're too good a man, Angus. You as well. I appreciate the favour. I'll be seeing you soon. Well, I would say that's some rather good news you received there. I'm... I'm not sure I understand. That was the Morgue of Leviathan. A rather shadowy group, as you could imagine, considering that as immortals, we're not supposed to be in the business of dying. Ha! But there's a good chap there who I go way back with, and he just confirmed that your lady friend is not in his possession. So you've got yourself some more looking to do. What do you mean, Angus? Well, the logic is pretty simple. You know she's down here because there really isn't an easy way out of Leviathan. If she isn't dead, then she's alive and down here. The question is, will you be able to find her before the ocean finds her, when it floods this cavern? I'd say, time isn't on your side, Oberlin St Clair.
1: A half kilometre to the east, a chipped and scarred cave hog rumbled hurriedly along the narrow paved parkway of Abel Park. Chief Denson had ordered engineer Hemsworth, who was driving, to step on it, to make sure that the reported magma leak in the cavern wall did not reach the city's chemical reserves. Unfortunately, his progress was delayed by a more pressing reality. Another cave hog in front of them was stopped due to a large metallic obstruction lying in
6: front of them both. Hey, what's the problem out there? We've got to clear this roadway. Radio ahead to these guys. I
4: can go around it, Chief.
6: Sure, we can, but not if we need to get two or three fire pods down here if that magma breach hits our fuel reserves. Chief, this is Cave Hog 9. We got this loading mech blocking our way. We can't get it activated, and it's locked out the override. Then just push the whole thing off to the side. I don't care where you put it, but we gotta keep this roadway clear for the firepods. Chief, we've been trying to move this thing
0: for an hour. It's a mammoth-class loading mech. Not even the Cave Hogs
7: can push it. come
0: on.
6: Look, just do a whole system reset on it. That'll get this Twinkie standing, and we can worry about it later. System reset requires an authorization code from you or under Chief Ansler. We need you to come down here. Ah, for the love of Jiminy Cricket. Hold on. Hey, Hemsworth. Pull over to the side and pop the pressure hatch. I gotta see what's going on with this mech. Sure
1: thing, Chief. The first cave hog inched forward onto the purple grass of Abel Park, sinking several inches into the soft field. It came to a stop alongside the second cave hog that had its paved pathway blocked by the dormant loading mech. The side hatch of the first cave hog opposed open, and Chief Denson pulled himself out with surprising deftness.
6: So what's the problem, Holstein? I still can't get this hulk to move, sir. I tried all the ignition codes, but I think it needs a
0: hard reset. It's gonna need your access code. Yeah, yeah.
6: Uh, we saw this happen a few weeks ago. Probably those electrics coming off that keyhole fried at circuits. Okay, why don't we... Hey, Chief,
7: can you read me? Loud
6: and clear, what do you got? we got
7: a problem. We've got two new magma
1: leaks, less than 20 yards from the fuel reserves.
6: I read you. We're sending over a team right now. Hang in there. You gotta keep it together for another six, seven minutes. You copy? We'll try, Chief.
1: But get here as soon as you can.
6: It's getting steamy. Engineering
1: out. Chief Denson sprang to his feet and looked urgently at the engineer next to him.
6: Listen, Holstein, I need you to get back in your hog and go around this dead mech. I don't care if you tear up every garden in Abel Park and leave a trench deep enough for a grave. You get to the fuel depot ASAP and get welding. I'll take care of this mammoth so we can get some fire pods through to provide support. I'll be two minutes behind you. You got it? Got it. Go! The young man spun and
1: ran back to his vehicle, while Denson turned to run back to his own cave hog and quickly stuck his head inside the pressure hatch.
6: Hemsworth, I need you to punch it over to the fuel depot. Stat! Follow Holstein ahead of you. They need welding support and all the ceramics you got in the back, okay? Don't stop for anything. I'll beat you there. Move it out! Now! IG! <laughs>
1: The massive reinforced tires of the gargantuan cave hogs crushed the cobblestone curbs on the parkway and tore into the tender ground of Abel Park. Dirt and sod flew in the air as the vehicles rushed north towards a dangerous red glow near the Genesis zone of Leviathan, where the chemical fuel reserves were stored. Denson turned back around to look at the dormant mech, still blocking the road.
6: Okay, what exactly are we going to do with you, my overgrown friend? Let's access your touchscreen so we can...
1: Whoa! Without warning, all of the hazard lights on the mech illuminated at the same time.
6: Well, that doesn't make sense. How can your lights be on if your power matrix isn't...
1: The mammoth class tucked its legs under its chassis and rose to its full height of over 20 feet tall. It bent forward slightly as if to peer at Marcus, and then extended two of its four claw-like appendages.
6: What the... Stand down! Emergency override! Stand down! That's walking. I'm walking.
1: Maddox's left claw grabbed the Chief by the sternum, (coughs) while its right claw dug sharply into his hips. (coughs) With one swift motion, Maddox twisted and pulled his claws apart. Chief Denson's last terrified sight was of the other claw holding the lower half of his body, before he faded into unconsciousness. Maddox released his mechanical grip. (coughs) Allowing the two halves of Marcus Denson's body to fall down to the muddy ground unceremoniously.
6: Maddox wanted a body.
8: Maddox has a body. Maddox wants an basin.
1: An hour earlier, at the West Hangar Bay.
5: The Zephyr Shuttle is ready, McKellen! All the cargo's been loaded? I double-checked it myself. I've loaded a full complement of light arms, fully insulated survival suits, and enough explosives to level Time Center. (laughs) I think you mean Times Square. Sorry, I've never actually been to New York. It looks really fun.
2: Well, if I get back, when I get back, I think you and I have earned ourselves a shopping day in the Big Apple. That sounds like fun, McKellen. I want you to know, I wish you good luck. You're amazing, Astrid, really. You never
5: let me down. Thanks, Councilwoman. I try. Just so you know, it'll take about 45 minutes to reach depth in order to dock with the Condor underwater. So you better get moving. Understood. I'm
2: waiting for the rest of the crew members to arrive and get briefed.
6: Well, it would appear that someone else has arrived to
1: see you off. I think I'll leave you alone. McCallan looked down from the loading gate of the Zephyr shuttle and was surprised to see Evangeline staring up at her wearing a simple white
2: gown. What are you doing out of bed? You're not my doctor, McCallan. No, but I'm a doctor. That should give me some credibility. I'm fine, McCallan. Better than I've been in a while. Considering the mission you're about to undertake, I suspect that it is I that should be doing the worrying... Don't worry. I've come to peace with Tully, and Anton's the best pilot that's ever come out of Leviathan. We're an effective team. Well... Just in case. I thought I'd bring you something for your mission. A good luck charm of sorts. What is it? It's something that was given to me a very, very long time ago.
1: McCallum walked down to the floor of the hangar bay and approached Evangeline, who took her hand and placed within it a worn leather necklace with a dull grey charm in the center. McCallum couldn't immediately identify its form, but then realized it was in the shape of a wolf with small gems for eyes. Thank
2: you. It's... It's beautiful. No, it isn't. But it is deadly.
1: Evangeline twisted the head of the wolf and pulled, revealing a tiny blade more than an inch long. Its polished shine contrasted to the dusty outer appearance of the crude wolf carving.
2: Well, that's a surprise. More than you know. It's laced with one of the deadliest poisons ever created. Death is painless, but occurs within 60 seconds. Seems like too nice an ending for some of the villains we're facing. The necklace doesn't have to be for the villains.
1: McCallan stared at Evangeline and understood. The
2: aliens, they're not what you think they are. They're insidious, and they can get inside of you. Please be careful, McAllen. We'll get there in time, Evangeline, and we will get the aliens back here to Leviathan, where their threat can be contained. It doesn't matter if you bring the aliens back or not, just as long as you stop them. Evangeline stared back at McCallan, seeing herself. And well, I will pray to the goddess for you.
1: Evangeline leaned forward and kissed McCallan's cheek gently. Then she took a small step back to take full measure of
2: McCallan. I was quite fetching in my younger days, wasn't I? I think you're still pretty damn hot, if that's what you're implying.
1: The smile on Evangeline's face widened for an instant, but
2: then faded and disappeared. It's a desolate job, McCallan. Being the leader, you have to give them all enough today so that they'll follow you into the clear vision you see for tomorrow. Never doubt yourself and never stop looking forward. You have my strength, Macallan. No one will ever be able to take that away from you. I'll keep the team on task, Evangeline. I promise. Take care of them all, Macallan. And then
1: Evangeline turned and walked out of the hangar bay to enter a lev pod that whisked her away into the crowded streets of Leviathan.
4: Come on, Oberlin! Okay, okay, just let me ask a few more people. She probably tried to come this way to escape out of Leviathan. Oberlin, don't you get it? If we don't hurry and get to the crossbow station in time, Miley is as good as dead. We all are. So if you really care about her and want to find her, you'll get on that shuttle with me. Now!
1: Oberlin stopped and looked hard into his friend's eyes.
4: She saved my life, Tully. And you'll save hers. Come on, buddy. Macallan is waiting for us. All right. You win. Let's go.
1: Tully put his arms around Oberlin and hugged him close.
4: And when we get back, and we will get back, we're going to find Miley. I promise. Even if we have to turn this whole city, hell, the whole world, upside down to find her, we will. After all, we're treasure hunters, right? We find stuff for a living. But we suck at it. We still haven't found the Orlando Cortez. Well, that's true, but we still gotta go.
1: Oberlin allowed a faint smile to escape his lips.
4: <sighs> Lead on, Captain Tully.
1: Oberlin and Tully rushed through the giant iron doors of the West Hangar Bay and hurried towards the Zephyr launch tube, where McCallan stood on the loading ramp with her arms outstretched.
4: Uh, hello? Is being on time to save the world too much to ask? It was really my fault, McCallan. You see, I Get a- in the damn boat! I don't care! Do I smell liquor on your breath? No. no.
1: Oberlin and Tully rushed into the hull of the Zephyrcraft as McAllen quickly secured the hatch
7: behind them.
2: All clear. Get us out of here, Anton.
7: West Hanger, this is Darkwater One. Entering launch tube and initiating pressure equalization.
2: The Zephyr shot out of
1: the cavern wall at high velocity leaving a glistening trail of silver air bubbles following behind the ship, crackling under the severe pressure. As the ship entered the main channel of the Marianas Trench, Anton pulled the nose of the craft upward, pushing the zephyr towards the surface. He cautiously leaned on the throttle, so that everyone inside could feel the floor rising against their feet as the ship jetted towards shallower
2: water. How long will it take us to rendezvous with the Condor?
7: At least an hour. I can't accelerate our ascension any faster without risking a breach in hull integrity. See what I mean?
1: The ship continued its ghostly ascent towards the surface of the sea, journeying through a blackness so dark that McCallan could discern almost nothing beyond the plastil viewing port. Tully and Oberlin worked together quickly in the aft of the Zephyr to assemble the armament and gear that the team would require for their assault on the crossbow station. After one hour, the Zephyr finally reached a depth of 65 feet below the surface and approached the side of the Condor, extending a three-foot sleeve off its starboard side to line up with its entrance hatch. A small motor activated to pump the seawater out of the sleeve chamber, leaving a mostly dry compartment for McAllen and her team to transfer their cargo and man the appropriate stations in the Condor. Tully and Oberlin secured several crates of gear in the aft cabin, while Anton quickly got into the pilot's seat and prepared to take the Condor out of Hydroscram mode. McCallum followed close behind him, and within moments, the Condor was breaching the surface of the Philippine Sea. Soon after, Anton activated the hover fans, allowing the ship to float a few
2: meters over the surface of the water. Send the Zephyron remote back to Leviathan. If we fail, they're going to need all the ships they can get.
7: Zephyr decoupled, and away. Photo cloak. Activated.
1: McAllen stared out of the cockpit window and watched the bright midday sun shimmer off the surface of the azure sea. She took a deep breath and leaned over the pilot's chair to bring her lips close to Anton's ear.
2: All right, Anton. Right now I want you to show me how fucking fast this plane can go.
1: More than 8,000 miles away, in the remote Canadian High North, Whit Roberts stood over an expanse of keyboards and monitors within the icy bowels of the crossbow station. His breath condensed in front of him as he carefully entered the code sequence needed to bring the crossbow station online. A split second later, the hum of electrical motors kicked in and fluorescent lights popped alive in sequence, illuminating the launch control room in which he stood. A large screen dominated the wall that showed a satellite view of the Earth, and scores of orbital tracking lines followed hundreds of geostationary satellites and their precise location and nationality. The temperature in the room was 30 degrees Fahrenheit, and Wit quickly donned one of the fur-collared white parkas that hung on the hooks near the door. But it came as no surprise to Wit. When Jason Sterling entered the room shirtless, his red skin now stained by leaking black streaks through small sores on his chest.
8: Status. I'm bringing all systems online. Full power to the station should be restored within 15 minutes. Good to see Tanaka's technology seems to be working properly, considering the station was constructed decades ago. How much time until the Arrow launch? Liquid oxygen is still being transferred into the fuel chamber. I'd say we should be launch ready in three hours. And the aliens? They said they were tired from the journey. Being trapped in the buffer station left them weak. Elgar and Karana are nourishing themselves within the Starstone chamber on the sublevel of Crossbow. Yes. Yes, I can sense them. They'd better do it fast, I- We're gonna run out of time soon. Jason, once the rocket launches, its trajectory and our location will be visible to every satellite in the free world, and then there won't be anywhere left for Black Door to hide. We're not Black Door anymore. Once we launch the arrow and the satellite reaches position in high orbit, it will provide the signal beacon for the Seraxian fleet. The rest of the world will no longer be a concern. They'll try to kill us, Jason, everyone. Not when they realize that we are humanity's last chance. It was our group that negotiated the human race's preservation. We may never get to tell our side of the story. Once the arrow is away, it will take another eight hours for the beacon to reach the high orbit necessary to transpond its signal. If opposing forces launch an immediate strike, we may not have the defenses to last eight hours in this station. Once we confirm that the beacon is in orbit, we can evacuate the station with the Saraxians. There's a mining tunnel that leads to a small port with a vessel docked in the southern inlet. I've had it disguised to resemble a commercial fishing trawler. We'll exit through Baffin Bay and stay in international waters until the arrival of the Saraxian fleet. At that point, the world we know will find itself rather distracted. In less than 24 hours, human beings will no longer be the dominant force of life on this planet. What about U.S. and Russian missile defense? They have the technology to take out the Arrow. The technology to take out a conventional ICBM. The Arrow possesses stealth technologies that can defeat any countermeasures the U.S. or Russia can muster up.
1: Whit Roberts was silent for a moment, and then spoke in a low voice. What
8: about the Immortals? Can they still stop us? Not without knowing where the crossbow station is. They'll never get here in time, and the location died with sentient anyway. But- Wit, you've done well, my friend. And we've both had to pay a high price to get here, but nothing is going to stop us anymore. It's time to revel in what we've accomplished, and take pride in the gift we've given to humanity. We did it, Wit. You and me. <coughs>
1: Sterling doubled over in pain, and when he stood up, his hands were covered in the black muck that now leaked from the pores of his exposed skin.
8: I need to see the Seraxians. They're calling for me. Continue the countdown for launch with.
1: Sterling turned and walked towards the exit of the launch chamber.
8: Jason, what is it? What if the aliens don't keep their end of the bargain? They have no choice. They have to provide a human sanctuary for breeding purposes, Wit. And that sanctuary will need leadership. That's right. Our leadership.
1: Listening to Season 3 of The Leviathan Chronicles. To listen to all of the Season 3 episodes right now and get the exclusive epilogue episode, purchase the Season 3 Director's Cut at LeviathanChronicles.com or click the link in the show notes for immediate download. The Leviathan Chronicles was written and created by Christoph Leputka, executive produced by Robin Shaw, produced and musical composition by Luke Allen, directed by Nobi Nakanishi. For more information and news, visit our website or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for supporting us and thank you for listening.
0: Hi. This is Christoph Laputka, and I want to thank you for listening to Season 3 of the Leviathan Chronicles. I hope you've been enjoying our most action-packed season yet because we want to keep growing the Leviathan universe with spin-off stories and future seasons. But we need your help. That's why I'm asking you to check out our first ever Kickstarter campaign by going to leviathanchronicles.com slash kickstarter or just clicking on the link in our show notes. There, we have many levels of support as well as some really amazing rewards. One of our favorite characters is salty squid bartender Angus mckay he really appreciates your support and one of the rewards we're offering is a limited edition recipe book for angus's favorite leviathan cocktails that we found in an old corner of the squid you can find cool items like that and much more on kickstarter by going to leviathan kickstarter we can't wait to get started on creating more audio dramas like leviathan your help really does ensure that future projects will have the resources they need to make it from our headphones to yours thank you again for listening to Season 3, and thank you for checking out our Kickstarter campaign. I'll see you guys real soon.
1: Leviathan Audio Production
7: Chauncey Haworth, Mark Slade, and Lothar Tuppen, the demented minds behind the Twisted Pulp Radio Hour, bring you. Twisted Pulp Magazine. A journey beyond surreality, to worlds you never knew or hoped existed. Worlds of the supernatural. Worlds of dark satire. Worlds of nightmarish futures. Twisted Pulp Magazine. If you thought the 21st century was weird enough already, think again. Twisted Pulp Magazine. A step beyond your grandfather's pulp available at digitalvaudeville.com that's d i g i t a l v a u d e v i l l e.com